and welcome to the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, yarn and comedy in equally large measures. I'm your host, Joe Milmine, and coming up in today's show, we have an interview with writer and designer Kate Davies. I feel a need to laugh again with you, if that's alright. Hello everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the podcast. Today is Sunday the 8th of February. How are you all? I hope you've all had a good week since the last time I spoke to you and that you're all enjoying the much welcomed return of slightly lighter evenings as we progress to spring. Normally there will be on the podcast a variety of segments, some of which are weekly, some of which are monthly and Today I have an interview for you. Usually I like to cram in some other stuff around interviews but I've felt for this interview I would really like it to be as a standalone interview episode so that's what I've gone for this time and I'm delighted to be welcoming onto the show Kate Davies. Now for those of you that are not familiar with Kate, she is a writer and a knitwear designer and she's based in Scotland just off the West Highland Way, sort of on the edge of the Scottish Highlands. She's a prolific designer and is responsible for a number of iconic indie design classics, some of which you will be familiar with and probably the most famous of her patterns is the Owl Sweater. At the time of recording, there were 7,873 projects in Ravelry and it was in 12,257 queues, so a fairly famous pattern. You also may have seen some of her other quite iconic uh, designs such as paper dolls, piri fluors, rams and yows and most recently uh, jazz hands in the last few weeks, which is a pair of mitts with a diamond colourwork pattern on them. In 2010, Kate suffered from a stroke, prior to which she had been working in academia and she was a specialist in 18th century literature and particularly uh, women's literature. And subsequent to having her stroke, she left academia and became a, after her recovery or during her recovery really, she'll tell you, um, she became a knitwear designer. She recently in the last couple of weeks published a very candid and honest blog post about her reflections on where she is now, her five years after uh, the stroke had occurred and uh, it's got literally hundreds of comments. I definitely recommend that you go and read it and I don't read a massive amount of blogs um, but Kate's is one of the ones that I do read because it is always very high quality writing And I know from speaking to a couple of uh, other people, I was like, have you seen Katie's blog post today? And everyone said I was completely gripped through to the end, completely had me through to the end. And she's just reflects very honestly and very candidly about her journey and where she started from, the, the events that led up to the stroke, what happened, and then kind of subsequent to that. And I really recommend, even if it's... um not your usual subject matter that you go on there and have a read of it because it's definitely puts into context a lot of her work and also I think a lot of the points in there so many people can relate to 
in terms of stress levels etc and how hard our jobs can take over sometimes that um, I really recommend you have a look at that. Now Kate is also the author of the Yokes book which I reviewed a few episodes ago and it was um, seeing this latest publication and uh, series of designs from her which prompted me to think about asking her for an interview. I was a bit nervous, I won't lie, about asking her. I didn't think she would agree. Um, I know that she doesn't teach or speak in public because of um, complications that had occurred after her stroke. Uh, means that she can find it very difficult to process um, things that she's hearing if there's a lot of stuff going on at once. Um, so I, I, I didn't think that she would say yes, but I decided to be brave anyway and ask her because I thought she would be a really interesting person to speak to, particularly about the business side of things. Um, of being a designer and running your own enterprise and that's generally how I pick the guests anyway on the show I'll, I'll they'll do something that I enjoy or they'll pique my interest or they'll write an amazing book with beautiful beaded yokes in it and I'll think yeah I quite fancy having a chat to her or him um, so I did um, much much encouraged by Louise Scully uh, I sent her an email and I didn't even think uh, that she would come on the show but thankfully she did agree to and this is actually her first uh, podcast interview. She has been asked before a lot of times, but has never really been able to do it because um, because of problems with her hearing um, since the stroke. But that obviously as she's improved and things have got better for her, she decided uh, that she would come on. So I'm very grateful uh, that she did do. As you'll hear, she's extremely down to earth and uh, probably not what everybody thinks she'll sound like as a bit of a cryptic intro there. She also isn't six foot tall like I thought she was. She's only five foot two. But that's a whole other story. So go and grab yourself a nice big cup of tea, a bit of shortbread because we're in Scotland and settle in as we chat to Kate about all things uh, Yarny and business with Kate Davies Designs. <laughs> Thank you very much for agreeing to be interviewed, Kate. It's delightful to have you on the show. And I have some extra questions that we don't usually include because I thought these were really important things to kind of bring out from someone who does this as a proper full-time business um, and has done for a few years now. So, first of all, many people assume that you're from Scotland, but you're not. Can you tell us a bit about your background, please? Well, like you, Joe, I grew up in the Northwest. And just a few miles away from you in Rochdale. Um, so I grew up in Rochdale and I did uh, my university degrees in Yorkshire. So I went to the University of York where I did uh, BAMA and then PhD. And then I worked in Yorkshire for quite a while. So I think my Lancashire accent has been, been tinged by um, some Yorkshire overtones because I was there for many years. So I worked at the Universities of York and Sheffield. And then I moved with my partner, Tom, up north uh, to Edinburgh. And I've been in Scotland for nearly 15 years now. And we now live, um, yeah, near Loch Lomond in, in the central Scotland, west central Scotland. It is beautiful as well. I enjoy your Instagram feed, actually. It's, no, it is. I'm really enjoying it. It's grand. So obviously your background was in academia. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits? Well, yeah, so I was taught to knit when I was wee by my grandma, like a lot of people are. So I knit when I was a very little girl, but then like a lot of people, again, um, I just stopped being interested in it when I was a teenager. 
and didn't knit at all really through my 20s and then it was in my late 20s and early 30s really when I was working as an academic I suppose um uh it was that time when a lot of knitting blogs were starting and, you know, knitting suddenly became quite big on the internet and I, I just totally leapt on the bandwagon and, um, and uh, became obsessed, like many other people. And because and I spent a lot of time on trains, I knit an awful lot. You know, I was commuting, so I was just knitting the entire time and really enjoying it. Um, but, but pretty much from the beginning, you know, when I started knitting, I also started designing. I was, um, you know, constantly seeing people wearing a jumper and I'd be deconstructing what they were wearing and trying to, you know, reconstruct it and recreate it with my needles to, um, with greater or lesser degrees of success. Um, yeah, so I, I suppose when I started uh, designing for myself, the transition into it felt quite natural, really, because I'd just been doing it just sort of on the side for, for a few years. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. So what was the tipping point then that turned, what was your hobby and entertainment on the train essentially uh, into a proper business well so I, I started blogging in in 2007 um which actually was quite late for a lot of knit bloggers and certainly when I started blogging there were an awful lot of knitting blogs around um far more than there are now um yes I miss some of the old ones <laughs> um but yeah in uh, in 2010 I, I had a stroke uh, a very serious stroke and I was I was paralyzed on my left side um and I, it was suggested to me that it was going to be very difficult for me to go back and work in a demanding academic job uh, because of my mobility issues and issues with my balance and my hearing and so on. Um, so I, I had to have the inevitable conversation about what I was then going to do with my life. And I just said to the occupational therapist, well, I, th I think I'll just sell knitting patterns. You know, I'd already released a couple of patterns, uh, but not certainly never thinking that this is what I'm going to have to do uh, to make a living. So, but that's, that's what I did. Um, and the business kind of grew slowly because I was having to spend a lot of time focusing on my recovery. Um, but as I have recovered, the business has grown and it's, it's still growing now. And it's now in the, um, you know, I'm now a small publisher. I've got two books, two knitting books published. And I can combine, I suppose, the things I really enjoyed about academia, which is the, uh, the research and the writing, with the other stuff that I used to enjoy as a hobby, which is the uh, knitting and the designing. So, yeah, it's the best of both worlds, really. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that comes through, I think, in your books in particular, is that research aspect. It's something that stood out for me in Yokes, is the depth that you've gone into in looking into the story behind the designs of, uh, that you've just chosen to kind of feature. Yeah, well, that's, that's very important to me. Um, I think... There's no point doing something unless you understand the background <laughs> behind it. And uh, uh, knitting is historically, I think, has been under-investigated and under-documented. And there are so many amazing things to find out about it. I don't think I'll ever stop learning new things and, and finding out new things or, uh, or ever lose that appetite for discovering, you know, new things about knitting. Um, yeah, I really love the research and, and I, I really enjoy writing which I know a lot of people don't do. But, um, yeah, that, to me, that is just pure pleasure, really. Oh, brilliant. So what, then, does the average day look like for you? Well, it might not be like a lot of people imagine. I'm sure they just think I um, think a lot of time, spend a lot of time knitting and, and swanning around. <laughs> but it's a lot of hard work because it's, it's just me, um, you know, running the business. So I, I get up really early. I get up at 6.30 and between 6.30 and about 8, I do all my invoices and I pack up and process and frank all the orders that have come in the day before. Um, and then I go to the post office 
and take the dog for a walk and I do all that before nine so I can be back at my desk at nine and then you know uh, take on whatever the day holds and I'm a terrible um, multitasker uh, so I can only really do one thing at once so like I'll either do say wholesale orders or I'll do some designing or I'll do some research you know but I have to focus on whatever projects in hand really I can't really juggle several things at once and I do take time to go for a walk every day actually about two hours I take two hours out of every day and I go and walk uh, with the dog um, and try and walk for several miles and you know whatever the weather is try and spend that time outside you know that's important just to get the headspace but also from my recovery perspective that is what's really helped me actually um get around on two feet again as opposed to being you know going about with a leg brace you know so I've just got to keep the walking up and I I do really enjoy it so I, I do that, and then, uh, yeah, in the afternoon, things sort of slow down a bit, but I, I tend to start knitting at about four, and then I knit through the evening. Yeah, usually while watching some TV or listening to the radio or whatever, but that's when I do the knitting is in the evening. So can you talk us then through your sort of process when you're designing, say, a sweater? Yeah, sure. So I guess I... I do begin with a, a point of inspiration and that could be anything really. It could be like a wildflower or a, a song, a tune, a character in a novel or some kind of anecdote of social or cultural history that I'm interested in um, investigating. And generally that point, that inspiration point, that will lead me on to thinking about, you know, stitch patterns, garment lines, construction types, that kind of thing. But at the same time that I'm doing all that, always at the beginning I'm already thinking about how I'm going to style something how that garment is going to look what I'm going to wear with it where it's going to be photographed how how it's going to feel the whole feel the style and feel of it so I generally put together like a mood board you know with colors and different images uh, for each design um, but the the idea of the styling is there pretty much from the beginning and I, I find that really fun and I really enjoy it um, um, yes so at that point, I'll draft up a basic pattern and then I knit from that basic pattern, taking notes. Um, and then I grade the pattern myself, usually into 10 different sizes. Then it'll go to my, my tech editors, uh, Jen and Rachel. And sometimes it'll go to Mel, who's my friend who does, uh, works with me a lot on the test knitting. And often Mel's feedback is really important in helping me create a pattern that's super usable and super clear you know, for the knitter to follow. Uh, so her, her feedback is really, really crucial, really. Um, yeah, so, and then when the pattern's complete, uh, I put it on, I style it in the way I'd imagined. Usually it's the same, pretty much the same. It's very rare actually that my, my styling decisions change. And then my partner, Tom, he does the photography. He's a magician who makes you look six foot tall, isn't he? But I'm only five foot two. No, I'm not, I'm definitely not six feet tall. (laughs) Um, yes, much below average height. All the best people are small, Kate. That's just how it is. (laughs) I think it's genetic when you're northern. If you're tall, you'd be no good in the mines or in the mills. So, <laughs> sort of got bred out. <laughs> Can't crawl under the machinery, can we? If we were, if we were six foot two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! Um, so, obviously, we've talked about a bit about your creative process there and how a kind of general day looks for you and the fact that you are a one-woman enterprise but you have a, a solid team around you um, running your business. Um, but no journey in business is ever a smooth one and it, it does have it have its ups and downs. Can you tell us about a time that maybe things didn't quite go to plan 
what happened and what did you learn as a result of it? I generally start with a point of inspiration. In this instance, uh, I'd gone to Edinburgh Zoo with my mum and dad and we'd seen some rhinos and I was absolutely fascinated by the texture of the rhino's skin on their arses, right? So I don't know if you've ever looked at a rhino's behind, but there are are these extraordinary kind of bobbly bits. And I thought, wow, I could actually do some bobbles. I could make a kind of crazy (coughs) sort of 60s sweater with some rhino arse bobbles like round the bottom of it. So I had to go with that, and it was it was horrible. It was absolutely awful. Um, it was one of the worst things I've ever knitted. So I, I unravelled the yarn, and actually the yarn I unravelled, I made uh, the owl sweater out of. It turned into the owl sweater. So I suppose what I learned from that is that owls are better than rhinos. Um, <laughs> do not de- design a sweater based on a rhino's bum. That's what I say. <laughs> It's funny, actually, because when you said about the rhino, completely going off topic here, um, when I lived in Africa, we were driving home once up the equivalent of the M6, and we got stopped at the last toll plaza by a policeman. And generally, when you get stopped by a policeman in South Africa, it's to inspect the inside of your wallet. And we were just like, oh, we've been driving for hours. Must we talk to this guy? You know, we haven't got any money to bribe him. And he's like, no, you must be careful, sir. And my husband said, why, what's what's the problem, officer? And he said, there's a rhino. He is loose in the road. And we were like, pardon? There was a rhino loose on the motorway, the equivalent of the M6. Yeah. And he was just telling us, please, we must be careful because they're trying to catch it. But it's proving a little bit difficult to catch a several-ton animal that's running around on a main road. Um, so we, we were driving up and in front of us was a little tiny kind of Volkswagen Polo and we had a quite a large, we had a Volvo and XC90 because there were a lot of animals where we lived and if we hit them and they go through the window, it'll kill you. So we got a big car and uh, as we were there, this rhino just came running past us. <laughs> so I have, I have a video of it, yeah, because I tried to video it, it didn't realise the flash was on and took a picture and basically flashed this rhino in the face in the dark with a camera <laughs> as it's stampeding around and it ran straight past us on the motorway and, and ran off. Was it frightening? Um, it wasn't because we were in a much bigger car than the people so, in front so of us. So you felt safe in the car, yeah. It was just a bit weird because it's just not yeah. the kind of thing that you see every day. Uh, no. Rhino on the motorway? Definitely not. It's not for sissies, Kate. <laughs> it's not for sissies. <laughs> That's extraordinary. They're amazing animals, though. It must have it must have been terrified. I know. I did feel awful because there's a lot of private game parks that they have around the area where we lived to keep oh. them safe because they're, they're so poached and the Kruger is the size of whales, basically. So trying to police yeah. that is almost impossible. Um, so they have a lot of them kept in private game enclosures, but they all front up against this motorway um, and obviously it got out somehow, so... I think it was fine. I think they probably managed to catch it. But on a Sunday night, I'm not really sure where you find an on-call kind of game vet to come and... No, I mean, it. the logistics, like you say, because, I mean, they're beautiful, dangerous animals. I mean, sort of... <coughs> yes, rounding one of them up, um, not an easy task. Once you do, once you've, I mean, it's not like you can just pick it up and put it on a truck, is it? Once you've actually sedated it, what do you do with it? You probably need a crane. Yes, exactly. On a Sunday night in Africa... Again, it's probably not happening. <laughs> but anyway, it's nothing to do with, with uh, rhino arse wobbles or, or owls, so we'll go straight on to the next question. That is extraordinary. <laughs> oh, crazy. Um, 
So, which other knitwear designers do you um, do you find inspiring, and why? I suppose I work to. I tend to work, you know, quite conceptually. So I suppose the designers that I really most admire are designers who also work conceptually, even if that's very different to what I do. So I really like Nora Gochen um, because she really thinks about knitting as a, a kind of organic form. I think, and her her scientific background feeds into her design process in a way that seems totally seamless and natural and easy and she comes up with some just beautiful textures and fabrics and I, I just think she's she's incredible um, I also really like Julia Farwell Clay um, and perhaps that's because she likes lots of the same things as me she likes modernism and music and literature and is often inspired by you know um, those things and feeds those things into her design um, and I like people like Spilly Jane, who are very quirky and have a, a real sense of fun behind the, the conceptual basis of their designs. Um, and, and, and people like Stephen West, who, you know, have the gumption to explore, you know, new ideas with stitch and construction um, in quite fresh and, and fashion forward ways, you know. And, th and then I suppose there are some people who are just born to be designers and who are just really good at it. And I suppose I'd put Isolde in that category, really. I really admire her work as well. There's a there's a quick list there. Yeah, definitely. I think Stephen West in particular, when I, I mean when I first came back to knitting, he was he had a, a certain style, but it was quite conservative, probably compared to what he does now. Now it seems to me he's almost gone from it's still very interesting construction wise, but it's almost turned into an art form in itself. I think from a knitting perspective, what he's doing is is, is still really interesting. You know, so he'll take a stitch like brioche stitch. And then he just spends a lot of time with it. He's absorbing himself in it. And he's looking at all the different things, it, the, 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 the potential of brioche, you know, um, and really opening that up. Um, yeah, no, I think what he does is fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Um, so which one thing then do you know now that you wish you would know when you picked up that first ball of yarn? Well, I suppose, you know, people have a certain idea of knitting as a sort of purely practical activity and I suppose I never really knew that my intellect could be as stimulated as much as it is um, by knitting. Um, I also wish I'd known how much fun it is actually running your own business um, because if I had known that perhaps I'd have um, changed my job before I did, <laughs> before I had to, you know, because I, I have an awful lot more fun doing what I'm doing now than I did, I did before. Okay then moving from one ball of yarn to another, Desert Island skeins. If you were going to be marooned on a desert island and could only take one skein or ball of yarn with you, which one would you take and why? So I've got a cone of Shetland Laceway um, from Uradale Organics that I bought at Shetland Wool Week a couple of years ago. And it's just been sitting here waiting um, to be used. But it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful single. It's lovely. Uh, so if I was on a desert island, I would sit there and I would knit myself some beautiful lacy undergarments with it. A full set of lacy undergarments. <laughs> so that's my desert island scale. Well, you know, I suppose you never know when a, a P&R ship's going to come past. You've got to look your best, haven't you? Absolutely. Have, have, that cone, have that cone in your bag, just in <laughs> case. <laughs> oh, crazy mental image there. Right, what's your favourite or your kind of go-to resource for yarn craft or business that you couldn't do without? So I thought I'd mention two here. Number one is the team of people that I work with. Uh, so my test knitter Mel, uh, my tech editor is Jen and Rachel, and my production manager who's Nick Blackmore. 
um, and friends like Felicity Ford and, of course, my partner, Tom. Because running a business is quite lonely if you're doing it on your own. So I think it's important to have some folk around you whose opinion you trust and who don't mind saying what they really think. You know, some people who don't mind saying when they think that you're wrong. Uh, so, yes, people who can express their opinions frankly uh, and whose opinion you trust. So that's my first resource. And the second one is really boring, but I, you know, I think it bears mentioning is like have a, a really good accountant, an accountant you get on with and who, again, who you can work well with. And, uh, yeah, um, I also have some decent accounting software, and I think that really makes a difference to how efficient I can be at my admin because that takes up a lot of time. Um, but my accountant is fantastic, and because of her, I knew about these VATMOS changes, you know, over a year ago, well in advance of many other people, and I was able to prepare quite carefully and think about how I was going to restructure my business to be able to accommodate the changes. So for me, it wasn't really as much of a, a hideous shock <laughs> than it was for a, a lot of other people, I think. Um, yeah, so those are my two resources, a good team and a good accountant. Definitely. Accountant comes up quite a lot and it seems like a big expense initially, especially when you're kind of counting every penny um, for where you're spending your money, but they can save you so much money in time. It's not just that either. It's that they know things that no one who's not an accountant <laughs> have any business knowing. Right. You know, uh, so that knowledge, that knowledge is really important. Um, and I don't have the time to be, you know, looking at every, um, you know, what happens in every government budget or, you know, what happens with every little bit of EU legislation or every trade agreement and how that's going to impact on my business. That's not that's not how I want to spend my time. So it's important for me to have somebody there who can digest all that information and impart the relevant bits of it, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But I would agree, it does seem like an expense. However, uh, from the word go, it's been invaluable to me. Even when my business was so micro, it was barely even worth mentioning. You know, uh, my accountant was just fantastic. Um, and as never, I've never questioned uh, her <laughs> input or validity in terms of, you know, running a small business. So, yeah, definitely. Brilliant. So where is the best place for listeners to find you? So I'm online in many places. I have my blog, which is katedavisdesigns.com, uh, my bookshop, which is shopkdd.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Kate Davis Designs, And I'm on Ravelry as well. There's a Ravelry group. Um, yeah, I think that's probably about it. Brilliant. So do you have any parting words of advice then um, for anyone who's thinking about getting into the industry? Yes, I suppose my advice would be to take yourself seriously. And uh, so I mean a couple of things by that. Number one, you've always got to value yourself and value your work properly and make sure you're charging enough for it. Um, and that's not only just to make sure that you're getting paid, but also out of a certain degree of solidarity with other people in this industry because this is an industry that I think historically has been quite good at undervaluing women's work so it's important that that changes so yeah take yourself seriously in terms of the value you're putting on your work but also take yourself seriously by making it your responsibility to deal professionally with things like admin and customer service and things like VAT and accounting because you know no one else is going to do that for you you've got to do it um uh so I'd say, yeah, the business side is, is just as important as the creative side. And it's important that you think about that and be serious about it from the word go if you're considering um, 
working in this industry in any capacity. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, particularly on the points about being historically sort of undervaluing the contribution and the value of the contribution. Um, and from people, people in general think that about knitting, I think. It's just like, oh, you'll knit for free. But the thing is that it, it, it goes on and it's, and it's really important that it doesn't and that, um, you know, uh, we have it in our hands, actually, to be able to change the way that these, these things are regarded. Um, 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 and far too many people, I think, are still being very poorly paid um, as, you know, their design work is being appallingly remunerated by, you know, by companies and magazines you would think were actually, you know, really, really reputable. Um, it's pretty bad. Um, so, yes, I think the power is in our hands and we've just got to kind of stick to our guns and make sure we value ourselves because to do work for less makes you feel bad about that work and bad about yourself. Um, yes. So, and it is, a, it is definitely a feminist point when you think about the way that, uh, you know, you think about the truck system in Shetland where women were bound into kind of hideous uh you know agreements with merchants and, and stores where they couldn't actually be paid in cash um you know they'd be paid in goods in, instead um it's just no it's just really important yes we must find our work and then you need to support people properly and if you want to have the choice then i think you kind of you've got to choose carefully where you spend your money Yes, from a consumer point of view as well. So, okay then. Well, what's next for Kate Davies Designs? Because you've just had a reprint of Yokes and of Colours of Shetland. What's on the horizon? Yes. So at the moment, I'm in a, a kind of yoke hiatus. I just can't stop knitting yoke sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got I've got three more yoke sweaters in the pipeline, and so they'll be coming in February. Um, and once I've, once I've finished those, I have a, another really big project that I'm going to start working on, the fruits of which will appear towards the end of the summer or early September. I can't really say any more than that at the moment, but um, yes, that project is what's going to be occupying my time, I imagine, from mid-February onwards. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm extremely excited about it. So yeah, no doubt you'll hear more about that as the um, the summer goes on. Oh, I do hope you'll come back and tell us about it then, then, because you're killing me. I'm dying to know what this is now. I can't say anything. I will push you on it, but I will push you on what's on the mannequin behind you, because I know you can tell me about that. Yes, I can. So that is the Owligan. Um, So, yeah, lots of people. I, I received so many emails from people who were like, how do I make the owl sweater into a cardigan? A cardigan, which will be suitable, I guess, for really very beginner knitters. So you can knit the sleeves flat or you can knit them in the round. You can work from the owl chart or you can work from some written instructions. It works in super, super bulky yarn um, on nine millimeter needles. Um, there's options for a long one or a short one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the Owligan is the next pattern I'm going to be publishing. And that'll be out in a couple of weeks time, I hope. So that one you can see there, that's the short version. I think, uh, yes, the last time I spoke to you, I think I, I had the long version on the uh, on the mannequin behind me so that is why it's different that's the that one is knitting with two strands of new lilac chunky um so it's a very reasonably priced um sweater and it is 
honestly, trust me, it's super simple to knit. People who are afraid of cables or knitting in the round should not be afraid because they can knit this completely flat and work from written instructions as well as a chart. So it's um, it's a super simple beginner sweater, but also, I, I guess, a really quick and enjoyable knit. I know that Mel, who's my test knitter, won't mind me saying that she knit that in under 24 hours. Wow. So I could go to New Lanark in February and have it ready for Edinburgh Yarn Festival in March. Yeah. Does she have any small children at all now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going. I'm going to New Lanark. You see, I'm. I'm already planning it, so it would be good. Well, yes, I, and I love their yarn. It's so. It's so interesting. It's one of those yarns that you know when you pick it up in the skein, you think, "Oh, I'm not sure how that's going to wear." But then you you block it and wash it, and it just it really softens up. It softens up, and the fabric is is just fabulous. It doesn't pill. It wears really well. Um, yeah, I, I can heartily recommend it. And it's incredibly reasonably priced and spun on beautiful historic machinery in a gorgeous landscape. What's not to like? D- does anybody need any any other reasons to be enabled? Or not? <laughs> the colours are really nice as well. They do this colour called Lovage, which is like, it's a colour that's very like... Um, a kind of old-fashioned tweedy colour that you get in a lot of, of, of old-fashioned Scots tweeds. And it, it's like a sort of heathery, pale bluey, greeny colour. And it is just delightful. I can't think of another yarn which is like it. The sample you can see behind is not in that, actually. It's in a, a shade called Limestone, which is a nice, complex, sort of grey, putty colour. It's nice. Yeah, the colours are lovely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Certainly looks pretty from here. I'm, I'm <laughs> mentally reordering the queue. <laughs> You'll really enjoy New Lanark. It's just, it's a wonderful place. Yeah, I was at the Narn, Narn shop, yarn shop in Nairn, and there they have an alpaca that's spun at New Lanark. Oh, yeah. Called, I need to be careful how I say this, Flying Flock. Flying flock, flying flock, yeah, that spun spun there, but the flock, obviously, the flying flock of alpaca, it is not at New Lanark, I don't think, but they spin it for them. So that was lovely. It's very kind of natural brown shades. So it could be quite interesting, something like that. So yeah, it's all good because you've done the other sample was in alpaca, wasn't it? No, the other sample is in Toft Ulysses Chunkle Chunky. Uh, obviously Toft do a lot of alpaca yarns, but this yarn is a blend of different British sheep breeds. And it's it's very, very soft. And I would say much more drapey. The sample is much more drapey than the new Lanarkers. Yeah. Brilliant. Lovely. Well, Kate, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to speak to us and give us the lowdown on everything Kate Day reads. And um, we'll look forward to finding out what's happening in September. So I hope you enjoyed that little chat with uh, Kate Davies. And a huge thanks again to her for coming onto the show and chatting to us about the less glamorous side of things, perhaps the business side, uh, invoicing and all the excitement that goes along with it. Um, If you've ever wanted to live a fancy life in Scotland, then I definitely recommend that you uh, follow Kate on Instagram. She does tend to share her walks with Bruce, who's terribly photogenic, very shiny, black Labrador, um, 
he tends to to make to be the star of a lot of the photos on on Instagram. But she puts up some beautiful pictures of kind of locks and mountains and the scenery around where she lives. So if you ever wanted to kind of do a bit of armchair armchair travel uh, to Loch Lomond area, then via her uh, Instagram account is a good way of doing it. And of course, when it's not on about that, it's on about knitwear, which is always a winner in my book. Um, if you're not familiar with hair designs or maybe you're only familiar with the really famous ones like Owls, then I recommend you go over on Ravelry and have a look at her other ones. Um, obviously, she's been around for quite a while now and I, I was, I've been knitting Owls for two years myself. But recently when doing the Free Your Skins thing, I sort of rediscovered her by accident and it was kind of like... Um, after yokes and I was like oh wow these are you know these cardigans these yokes they're really beautiful and um, let me just go and look at what else she's done and um it was kind of like rediscovering Duran Duran when I was at uni um and Duran Duran I didn't I didn't discover the first time around because I think I was pretty much just born but it's when you rediscover a band and you don't realize that they've done so many good songs um and it was all that one band. You thought it was different bands and it wasn't. Well, it was a bit like that first, some kind of really iconic knitting designs that I thought were other people, but were all Kate. So I'm not in any way comparing you, Kate, to any aging rockers. Well, not even really rockers, were they? They're a bit more kind of boy boy bandish. Um, but yeah, head on over. I've definitely got snarkied in my in my queue. Um, although by the time I finish it, it's probably going to be warm around here now. But um as I mentioned before, her blog is a great source of all things nitty and the and the quality of writing, as you'd expect from someone with her background, is excellent. It's always really interesting and she, she blogs regularly as well, so um, I definitely want to put in the feed reader. So all that's left for me to say is I hope you have a great week. Happy crafting and speak to you all again soon. Bye! to the shiny bees podcast a podcast for those who like their yarn knitting and comedy in equally large measures if you'd like to get in contact you can do so via the blog where you can find full show notes every week at www.shinybees.com i'm shiny bees on ravelry instagram twitter facebook and pinterest or you can contact me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com 